So since we are starting, I'll let both of you introduce yourselves and what you guys do with with the BRCC fund and all that good stuff. Uh, my name is Lord Smithington Foncourt. <laughs> I was raised in a small fishing village off the coast of Finland. Um, I take long walks of short docks. <laughs> and this is my bride. <laughs> uh, I'm Tyr Simak, and I'm the charitable giving manager at Black Rifle Coffee Company and uh, part-time commando. And this is... Nicole Scaraglino. I am the corporate giving operations specialist at Black Rifle Coffee. And an artist. See. See. <laughs> See. Perfect. Yeah. And typically, since you guys don't know, we usually record video and all that stuff. But today we're like, this is casual. We're just going to kind of hang out. Which last weekend we recorded in the tent up there. Yeah. We, we didn't bring our camera up and stuff. And we did it. No video. I still make like a thing to put on youtube because we have some people that only listen on youtube and it's just a picture with the sound and it got more views than the week before that had video i'm like that's very odd and our audio downloads stay pretty similar they just kind of gradually go up as we grow but the video ones are so back and forth and how many views they get and no video and it gets more than one with video so i'm like i don't know video is fucking worth it you should for this one, for audio only, you should definitely pull some photos from Nicole's Instagram as the cover photo. I think that'll help. It'll draw oh. some eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we got to have one of you, too. Like, yeah. I'll, you got to reenact that picture from that uh, Green Bray from, like, what, 12 years ago? He had his shirt off and the grenade and, you know, uh, and his pistol and his M4. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. That was at the uh, embassy. In was it? Okay. Yeah, that was that was longer than 12 years ago. Was, was it? Yeah. That was, like, 02. I oh, think. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Is it's just a sexy it's, picture. It's not a photo of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh it's like a warning photo of me like if you don't do something you're going to look just like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess we can start with how long. I mean, you've said you've been around. You've known Evan for ever. 20 years. Yeah, yeah, around 20 years. Yeah, Evan and I uh we were in the same unit, same special forces unit and then we did a lot of contracting together or around each other as well um he's uh he's just kind of when he gets into something that he thinks is uh cool he likes to pull people along with him and uh he's he's been doing that to me for geez since oh four yeah yeah i um i came on board full-time with black rifle in 2019 uh, i used to write for the blog before it became coffee or die oh cool um, that's where the whole Charlie Martel thing came from because I was still, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it actually, it didn't start as a pen name. It started because Facebook back in like 2015 started cracking down on names. So my name on Facebook at that time, uh, cause I was pretty operational was Conan, the deployer. <laughs> You should have yeah. stuck with that. Well, I would have, but they didn't <laughs> let me. I got a notice from Facebook one day when I was trying to log in. I said, we don't believe that's your real name. Facebook requires a first and last name. But I'm like, oh, okay. Well, so I changed it to Thor McGriddle <laughs> <laughs> in accordance with my heritage. And uh, that that rode for a little while. And I think uh, a jilted ex probably reported me for having a fake name. I think that's what happened. <laughs> because there wasn't really any reason to look at me back then and nobody was looking at pages going oh my god there's guns everything else mm-hmm. so um 
they, I got the same message. We don't believe that's your real name. So I said, fine. I just want a Facebook. The problem is my son, who was on the West Coast and I was on the East Coast, uh, that's the only way we, we talked was through Facebook Messenger. So that lasted all of about two weeks, and I realized I, I got to get a Facebook account. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I gave Facebook my real name, to your Mac, and I got the same message. We don't believe that's your real name. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Fine, uh, Charlie Martell. That's Charles the Hammer Martell is a historical figure. Yeah, mm. beat back a, a, a caliphate uh, cavalry horde in Spain. He's like Charlemagne's grandfather, I think." Yeah, it was just kind of a. It, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. It's not like I spent a day there researching. I just kind of. It was something I'd read recently, and I, I did it on the spot. And uh, because that was my social media handle, it ended up being my pen name when I was writing for the blog. Mm. And um, now in our Slack channels and everything else, it's right there next to my real name <laughs> because people get confused. So. <laughs> I know, when I first saw it, because I think on your Instagram it says here charlie martell and i'm like yeah what's this guy's fucking name and then when you were on austin's podcast it just said tear from black rifle coffee and i'm like yeah okay i don't know this guy that's name. always something oh, when i'm on podcasts you're like what do you want to be called I'm like i don't care it yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter care. just put tear in there it's fine i yeah. called him charlie when we first met i thought his name was charlie and then when he said well actually that's not my name it's tear and i was like okay <laughs> sure it is. Sure it, is. It, it made for some interesting tinder dates back in the day because <laughs> your name comes straight over from your facebook profile and a date would be going really well and they'd you know like giggle and tap me oh charlie and i'm like oh actually yeah that's not my real name and <laughs> then it had 50 percent a chance of continuing to go well after that's like because a lot of them back up like why do you have a fake name and where are you planning to bury my body yeah <laughs> I think mine for a while was until I got removed. This is like in 2008 or nine. Was Doctor Cutthroat, and that's what I had for Xbox. So I just go fucking dominate on like Call of Duty. <laughs> so you could dominate with Doctor Cutthroat. Because because when we were like on our first deployment, we had those Hodge discs. When the unit first came out, that show, and it was like the Snake Doctor and stuff. I was like, man, Doctor Cutthroat, so cool. <laughs> it's like. There's a lot of Snake Doc names out there. On, is there? On Xbox profiles, yeah. Snake Doc followed by whatever number combination because there's so many of them. Oh. Yeah. My, uh, my Xbox profile name for at least 10, 12 years has been Kansas City Stink Eye. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my, my son asking me why. He was watching me play Call of Duty one time. He's like, why, why is your name Kansas City Stink Eye? And I had a hard time. I had to tap dance a little bit because I didn't want to tell him, like, well, there's all these weird things like the Cleveland Steamer, <laughs> uh, you know, the the Dirty Sanchez, all these things. I'm like, uh, so, I mean, it doesn't, it's not a real thing that exists, but it sounds like it should. Kansas yeah. City Sink Eye. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And then, Nicole, how did you get involved with Black Rifle? Oh, nepotism. Straight nepotism. <laughs> nepotism. <laughs> I was, God, I, so I was a bartender when we moved, when we moved, when I was in Raleigh, I was a bartender for years. And then we moved to Seattle and I started bartending. It was really hard to find consistent work. And I loved the place that I was at in Raleigh. It helped to build a bar and it was cozy little whiskey bar. I just knew that I wasn't going to find that same kind of thing again. So I tried to find work in Seattle and it, I was patching shifts together instead of just being able to work at one place and get a decent paycheck. So it got really frustrating and eventually I got fed up and had some friends that worked at Beyond Clothing. And I was like, 
do you guys need any help like mailroom i'll pack boxes up i don't give a shit i just i need to find some consistent work and i need some kind of purpose and i wound up going in to shadow for the art department uh, my friend paul who's now eberly stock wanted to train me up on digital art and get me over there and met with him and rick who was the president and they were like oh no mission sales totally mission sales so that's how that happened, that transition from bartender to corporate job. And then um, he was working at Black Rifle, and I started to help really part-time with the donations, sending to deployed members. And I just really loved the company. I wasn't a Black Rifle person prior to that, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know anyone in the company. I didn't know much about the company, but we would share the living room for our Zoom meetings during COVID, and I loved listening to Evan and Tom and their leadership style. And they just had like this very family kind of um, attitude about the company. And they took me right in. And it was like I was just a part of that family. So it just made sense. And time, I, I loved what I was doing, being able to kind of give back a little bit. And I loved the culture. So it, then the itch needed to be scratched of you know making that leap full-time over to black rifle Mm -hmm. and i'm very happy that i did yeah yeah and like i told you before we were recording and i think i said this on the episode with chelsea from hunter seven when i first became aware of you was when the instagram post you holding up the sign that you don't have to be a veteran to help so i will go ahead and out this part of my job at beyond when i took that job i knew it was a desk job which i wasn't really nuts about and i really thought it was temporary because I was in the process of trying to get into the Washington National Guard. Mm. So there was a frustration for a while. Came within like a hair of getting on the fire department in Raleigh, and that didn't work out. And then we moved, so I was like, well, I'll just try it again in Washington. But I had tried going into, I was in the process of getting a tattoo removed from behind my ear to go Navy Reserves, but I really wanted to be Army. So I fought tooth and nail. We fought to, it was a whole, it was like a team of us that were trying to get me into the Washington National Guard. Two congressmen, uh, a general, a couple colonels. There was there was a lot. There was a lot there. A lot wow. of really Congress people, yeah. I guess. Congress people. A lot of really well-respected um, retired group guys wrote letters of recommendation. I mean, it was ridiculous, this packet. And they went ahead and they sent me to MEPS. So that was part of the building the case, like showing like she's physically fit and ready to go. In that packet, we were like this issue. And so I really thought that I was going to kind of get to check that block because I didn't do it when I was younger. I just wasn't that person. Mm -hmm. So I really thought I was going to get to check that block. And it was really frustrating when it came back as a no. And then it went to appeals, the tag sign, it went back to appeals. And then there was the final no. So being involved in this side of the company is really important to me because I wanted to do something that I need a purpose Mm -hmm. and being able to do something that involves giving back was really kind of the only option for me. I'm a, if it doesn't have meaning behind it, I don't want anything to do with it. And that's just, that's just kind of how I am. When I bartended, I spent a ton of my free time doing volunteer stuff because I needed something to, something to pay my bills, but I needed something to drive me forward. Mm -hmm. I I get that. And like what we witnessed last weekend at TAC, what you guys put together there and raising all that money. And, and you know, it's funny. We've talked about, we've both talked about this on here a few times. There's people that just know us outside, you know, in our real life. And they like, they'll say, why do you talk about black rifle all the time? Why do you have all these people on? You guys aren't sponsored. It's like, 
go watch what these fucking people do. First of all, Black Rifle has an endless well of interesting people that all have different backgrounds. But the good shit you guys do for people, just like, I don't know. It's You don't see that much. So if you go back to the early days of the company, it was just way before I was around. I never followed anything that Black Rifle was doing. I had friends that were former military or currently in that, you know, they would talk about the videos and that was cool. I just never really paid much attention to it because I didn't think, you know, it wasn't my culture. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a cool, good for them, good for you guys, awesome. But it, that was a lot more, I, I guess, I'd never even seen them, the bikini snaps and whatever, but the guys were so much younger. And anyone that thinks that that's what the company still is hasn't done any yeah. of their homework. This company, those those guys have grown leaps and bounds since then. And you look around, what we do is hard fucking work. Mm-hmm. And I think that you look at Instagram or, or any social media, you see some of the fun stuff that we're doing. And we're always someplace cool with cool people doing cool shit. But we work our asses off. Yeah. And there are times where I am beat down and tired. And, you know, we spend a month straight with a new event every single weekend. And that means that once the party is done on a Saturday night on Sunday, you get a little bit of downtime and you start getting ready to reorganizing. And then you're getting ready for the next one, which often is still like writing contracts for musicians that are playing. So it's a lot of work and it can be really exhausting. But when you get to those parties and like you guys saw, um, last weekend or two weekends ago, you look around and you've got guys that are, uh, missing legs and, and, you know, pulling bows with their teeth and shit. And Mm -hmm. they're having a fucking blast and it's bringing all of us together and we're all talking shit and cutting up and having a good time. We've got this amazing community and their families are involved. And now we're all have this common bond and it's not a, a, it's, that makes it all worth it. That Mm -hmm. makes all of that hard work worth it. But like Baker, I guess Baker said like, it's not all fun and games. It's not, it's hard work, but it's fucking worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, like when we walked into the tent last Saturday night and saw what you, you were running around like chickens with your heads cut off trying to get, that's why Kevin and I went up to tier. We're like, Hey, can we do anything? I yeah. Mean, you guys were like, the unsung heroes. So I mean, that, we did the most party. important job. You did. We got beer. Yes. <laughs> but no, There's $200 going a beer run, please. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's funny too. Cause I called my wife as we were going down the hill. I'm like, yeah. yeah. So we became black rifles, beer bitches. And she's like, you guys are making a beer run. What are you I'm like? We just wanted to help. And here we are. But no, I mean, you guys were, and I remember you said, you might want to ask Nicole. She's the one kind of doing yeah. everything. And then you're like, wait a minute, we need beer. So yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. And, but like you said, I, I could see the community that came together. And then we met a lot of people who we've just followed online. We don't know anything about these guys other than what you see on the internet. And I mean, people are talking to us like they knew us for, and we're just a couple of dudes trying to run a podcast, trying to, and we, we've talked about that endlessly. We don't want people to think, we just want something from people. Mm-hmm. We genuinely want to sit down and do what we're doing now and pick people's brains. And it just so happened that, like I said, Black Rifle has an endless amount of interesting fucking people. Yeah. Evan likes to collect good people. Yeah. I would well, say and plus, yeah. I don't care if I'm invited or not. Next year, I'm coming with a bow <laughs> to the fucking tack events and I'm yeah. going to shoot my ass off. Yeah. Good. So yeah. I don't That's, care. I'm going to legitimately, yeah, make it happen. So. Bring two dozen arrows. Two dozen? Yeah, you're going to lose a bunch. I was going to say, when you yeah. lose the first dozen. I want to I want to caveat something that Nicole said. She talked about, uh, you know, this uh, grand plan to join the National Guard. And I think for some of your listeners, they're probably thinking, well, that's not that huge of a commitment. It's 
one week in a month, blah, blah, blah. She was joining to be a parachute rigger, which okay. is nine months of training right off the bat. Mm. So I was both excited for her and kind of dreading that because I was going to be the lonely dependent at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, it, it wasn't a, a small feat mm-hmm. well, that's that she was going into. Something no, not at all. maybe you can relate with Nicole being around a bunch of veterans and not being a veteran like me doing this podcast. We've surrounded ourselves with a bunch of vets and I've always had a bunch of friends that are vets, stuff like that, but I'm not. And sometimes it makes me feel less than, you know, I'm like, God, these guys have done all this cool shit and here I am and they're all fucking cool to me. I've learned as we go on with this, we're all just people and everybody's just done different shit in life. But it's cool to see like it doesn't necessarily have to be veteran, but a certain community letting other people in that are not part of their community. Yeah. And that's something I've seen with Black Rifle. They, As long as you're like a good person, they'll invite you in. I went through a particularly tough period where it was like, oh, what was you? But I went through a particularly tough period. I said, woe is you. I said, is you. Oh, <laughs> what it is. <laughs> I went through a particularly tough period. Um, having, I experienced 9-11 firsthand. I was in the city when that happened. I was a very different person. Uh, was an artist, worked in the music industry. It just, it, it was more like, this is going to sound really weird. It interrupted my life plans. And I was like, no, this wasn't supposed to be a part of the plan. But it was never, me signing up for service wasn't even something that was on my radar. It wasn't until like a good 10 years later, 9, 10 years later, when I really had time to, I had a whole slew of issues. I had post-traumatic stress. I went through therapy. But but it wasn't until a good 9, 10 years later where I processed all that and went through, uh, you know, a lot of therapy and whatnot that I started to have this nagging itch to want to go and you know, help out. And it felt like a, it was a little too, like too little too late, but I still felt like there's still something I can do. I still can be useful. And all these other people, it felt like paid the, they, they paid the price for the free lifestyle that I got to enjoy all those years. And so I wanted to, you know, put some skin in the game myself as a, you know, do my part. And as a thank you to all those around me who had spent that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, at that point I was already tattooed below the wrist and every branch, every door I knocked on was an absolute no, but it, it did weigh on me for a while. That in particular, that, um, I felt this kind of guilt that I never, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't sign up myself when it happened. Yeah. You can't beat yourself up for it because not everyone's meant for service. And I was a completely different person dealing with my own pile of shit. Mm-hmm. But that was my, that was my guilt. That was my like, I just felt bad that I never, I never signed up with the people, you know, with other people in my age group. So I think there's a lot of people that have that guilt that never served. And that's something when we had Evan on, I talked about, because I hear guys who are civilians like myself who say, well, I would have joined, but, and I didn't ever want to be that guy. Like I would have joined, but you know. I would have punched my drill sergeant in the face. I've heard. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't really talk about it a whole lot that I tried really fucking hard to sign up because it, then it just sounds like another one. I was like, well, I tried, I tried to sign, I tried well, to join. It, it, it doesn't though. Cause at least you tried. There's people that never tried, including myself. I, I, I went and talked to recruiters one time and that's cause I got in trouble and I was like, <laughs> I need something to help me now. And it didn't go that way. I went down a different path. That's kind of how I ended up. I've heard that story a lot yeah. from, from vets. And <laughs> cause when I was 18, I was hanging out with a really bad crowd of guys. They were doing stupid shit. 
I was doing my fair share of stupid shit too. Oh, see, mine was the other way. I was hanging out with good people. You were doing the stupid shit. <laughs> I, I I got my girlfriend pregnant. Snow melted on Mount Hood. I didn't have money to go back to college, mm-hmm. and so I needed a paycheck and some medical benefits gotcha. and some college money. And uh, the military two years and a two year enlistment in the army to drive tanks was the uh, the quickest route to that. And you've been in how long now? 26. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> they get you at the drive-thru, man. Well, like, because we, we, me and a big group of guys, everybody got in trouble, and it was big trouble. And I was like, you know, in a point where I'm like, I need to get my life together. And I was 18 years old. So I went and talked to recruiters at every branch, and most of them looked at me and said, like, you're too fat. That's not happening. <laughs> but, and then I ended up going to work on a cattle ranch, and that was the route I went. Oh, that and cool. it was amazing. I mean, I wouldn't take it back for anything, but... I still, my whole life, have kind of had that regret where I wish I would have done it, but I didn't. So Show them show why you, you're ineligible for service. What, what do your knuckles say? Freedom on her knuckles. She has way too much freedom. That's like way too much freedom. fucking dare you? Yeah, I know. Fucking tattoos. Yeah, I, it's <laughs> this is, is probably an unpopular opinion with most people, but I really do think that there should be like a mandatory one to two years of service for everyone. Yeah. Like that Israelis do. Well, not even necessarily like combat, just help. Exactly. Just yeah. It doesn't have to be Provide combat. It's just put some skin in the game. We're all American citizens. Mm-hmm. And how many, how many civilians detach themselves 100% from military veterans, mm-hmm. et cetera. We are all reaping the benefits of the less than 1% of the mm-hmm. population that goes and serves. We should all be participating in this country and creating this country and the policies that, you know, motivate those decisions mm-hmm. to send our peers to war. That's just my opinion. Yeah, people lack perspective. I have strong opinions on this. Uh, I disagree with you in obligatory service to the military because I've worked with conscripted armies and mm-hmm. uh, they're mostly bullshit. <laughs> but, I um, <laughs> but I do feel that citizenship should not be automatic. Hmm. I, I, you, have you guys read Starship Troopers? Yeah. And then they, yeah. Yeah. Right. Of course you have. Yeah. I've wanted to appeal to the nerd in you. Yeah. yeah thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like yep. you're, yeah, you're born and you have human rights, but that does not equal citizenship. You actually have to earn your citizenship. I, and a part of a big part of why I feel this way is because I see when people come to this country, like, my friend Wally, who has killed more people than the plague, uh, mostly in service to Afghanistan and the United States, he's a he's an Afghan commando that works at Black Rifle Coffee. Mm-hmm. He's taking his first citizenship test this week, oh, and well. he is stressed out. He's studying. He speaks. He's worked on English. By the way, that I found out through him that the citizenship test is offered in English, <laughs> which is going to be difficult for the rest of the Afghans we have because. They don't speak a lot of English. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're working on it, but they don't speak a lot of English. Yeah. Um, but he's getting his first crack at this this week, and I feel like he already has done more to earn his citizenship than the bulk of Americans that were born here. Mm. And I, 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 I fully believe that you know, the preamble we hold these truths to be self evident. That, that whole bit, I believe that everybody here is entitled to basic human rights and liberties. But I think to be eligible to make decisions on behalf of everybody you should earn that right and just being hatched here is not i don't think that's enough 
you, not not when we're holding everybody else to a higher standard. So with the conscription thing or you know mandatory one or two years of service, I think there's different ways to open that up. I think if somebody just makes the commitment to serve something bigger than themselves, whether that's mm-hmm. AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, as much as I think they're bullshit because I've worked with them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, the, the uh, I can't remember what it's called, the U.S. Health Service. I think it's like a pseudo-military organization, um, but it's for, just for, for healthcare providers. Uh, FEMA, DMORT, there's all these things where you you can actually just go in and serve something bigger than yourself, serve the, the, serve the country, serve the people of this country that you don't have to pick up a gun, which, which is important. If you know about my background, I know, uh, the Italian over here is waving her hands around. So I'm going to give her the mic, but (laughs) I do have to say that any any of that to me, that counts as one to two years of service serving the country. And I was also going to say that Hanato Tavares, he's a, jujitsu black belt down in florida he used to run american top team he's got his own school now but i was down there with uh mission 22 seminar and riding one morning with hinato when he was studying for his citizenship test which he passed this was like eight years ago i think um and he was asking me these questions and i was embarrassed that i could not answer a single one of them and he had all of these answers you know he knew more about our country than i did well see that's that's cool to hear because like from I think there's people on the outside who see, say, military veterans and stuff, and they think, like, from the outside looking in, they think a lot of those guys are like, we don't want fucking foreigners in our country and that whole thing. Dicking her jams. Yes. Dicking her jams. And, yes. like, my, my family, my wife is Mexican, and a lot of her family is from Mexico. And those people have worked their fucking asses off to get here, to become a citizen, and become somebody who provides to their country. And... I, the way I've always looked at it is like, I like living here. Why wouldn't somebody else want to live here? And if I had a family and I was in a country that my family had no chance, I'd want to get where they might have a chance. And I, when I hear someone say like, you know, we don't want them coming to our country, which I don't think you really hear that much. I think that's like a, it's, I mean, it exists, but yeah, xenophobia is a real thing. Yes, it exists for sure. But it's, it's all about, like I said, it's not. You know, derivative is a racist or racist, racist, being a racist is a derivative term. Some people really are, but it's really just a cultural issue. You know, it happened last night after you, after you left the pool. I'm going to bring this example up because it's fucking perfect. You left the pool and this Muslim family shows up, like that the mom brings them and she's, you know, fully dressed everything. Um, and they're pumping this brand new Mercedes, like SUV, and they park in the middle of the road. She's not a fucking park. Like she's probably the first time she's driven a vehicle. Like, that's kind of funny, but it's true. <laughs> like, because she probably didn't get the fucking driver on vehicle over there. She's a woman, yeah. right? So, let's not drive. And then they don't know about their, their key. They have a key to get in the pool. She just walks up to the fence. And then very just, because, you know, they don't really have boundaries. When they come over here, they're, it's different culture. They don't have boundaries. Let's walk in your front yard and start, like, hanging out and shit, you know. But she just walks over to the gate. And she starts yell, yells at this Chinese lady. She's like, hey, open the gate. And she, but she's, like, not in English. And it's Chinese, like, really, she, she was one, she's speaking, mm-hmm. she's speaking Mandarin, like, she didn't really speak English. She's like, huh? Walking around, she's like, yeah, the gate, like, <laughs> just, they're very nonchalant about what they do. They're like, like, hey, go get the fucking gate, basically, you know, and that's a complete cultural difference, because a bunch of the white people in there were like, oh, this place is getting kind of packed, we're leaving, and a bunch of people took the kids and left. And it was obviously because she's just like, her and her four sons just dunk it up a little bit, you know, mm. but 
again, because we've seen that so much, it's like just their culture. It's but different people cultures. that have never seen that don't fucking get it. Like this is off putting. I'm piecing out, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I've told this story on here before, but at my job, we had a new employee a few years ago and he was from Iraq. And me, I've never sat with someone and talked to them who's from Iraq, who's Muslim or anything. And I'm going into that ignorant. And I was training him all day. And I was uncomfortable at first. I'm like, fuck, we're not going to have anything in common. This is going to be a long fucking day. And we get in the truck and we start talking. And he'd been here for, I think, eight years. And he came to the U.S. at 21 years old by himself. Knew nobody here. Came straight from Iraq to Boise, Idaho. And he showed up here in the wintertime. And we do get snow here. And he was telling me the story of like, he's like, I I didn't speak English. And his English was amazing. And I told him, your English is really good. He's like, thank you. I've worked on it so hard. And he said, I didn't speak English. I had a bus pass. I'm getting on the bus. I took the wrong bus. He went to a town that's a 25-minute drive from here. And he walked back to Boise in the snow. (laughs) And he's like, I'm 21 years old. I don't know anybody. I'm just pointing at my ID because my address is on there. And it turned out we had a lot of the same interests. We liked some of the same music. We hit it off and we became buddies. And I told him through the day, I was like, dude, I got to apologize to you. Like I was judging you before we ever got in this truck. And he's like, I was judging you too. <laughs> like, oh shit. And he's like, you don't look like the type of guy who'd like a type of guy like me. And then we became really good buddies. And I remember talking to Kevin because he's been to Iraq. He's, I've never been there. I haven't dealt with Iraqi people. And he's like, yeah, he's like, they're just people, dude. They're welcoming. They're kind. And it gave me a whole different perspective. And I think that's like a lot of racism and racists. They're just ignorant. Maybe if they got around somebody who's different than them, it'd give them a different perspective. And I wouldn't say like I was necessarily racist, but I was uncomfortable and ignorant. You had preconceived notions. I, I mean, it's I did. normal in human nature. And I talked about this on the last podcast that we did. Um, this doesn't make me look good. And it, I hate even saying it, but it's true that living in Manhattan immediately post 9-11 where I had zero experience with anyone from that part of the world or those cultures um you know we had just experienced this horrendous thing and we were told that it was people from the Middle East and they want to you know terrorism and they want to destroy our country and they don't like what we believe in I was suddenly afraid of prior I hadn't really given two shits about about the difference that I didn't, you know, different people, different parts of the world. But now I was suddenly afraid of anyone that was in Manhattan that was from the Middle East because clearly they must be here because there's this grand plan to, you know, mm. take us down, which is horrible and it's horribly ignorant. But as a 21 year old kid with no other, it was everything was normal. And then all of a sudden, people from this one place, a select few people from this one place tried to do this mm. thing. But I just, I didn't know anything about the world or politics or different culture or what was world happenings. So I had that really shitty idea. Yeah. Well, that yeah. guy I was just talking about, I asked him, I'm like, so, cause he's been here, like I said, eight years. I'm like, are people nice to you? And he's like, I've been called everything you can think of. I've been called a terrorist. And he's like, I usually just tell people, people I'm Italian. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, when they ask where I'm from, I say Italy or Armenian. Like, but since when were Iraqis, you know, ever terrorists to the U S essentially like, these are Saudi Arabians, but everyone tied it in like, well, they're Afghani terrorists and Iraqi terrorists. Like, these are Saudi Arabian motherfucker nationals. Like, well, he told me, know. he's like, that's the reason my family left there because we were getting terrorized yeah. because we didn't believe what right. these people believed right. in. 
which is an interesting point. I mean, we're, we're all white Americans sitting here. And I think sometimes even in that we get in a, almost a, it's like a reverse racist bubble. It's probably a poor term for it, but, uh, this is not a uniquely white or American problem. I'm very well traveled and, uh, Oh man, is there some racism out there in the world? Mm, yeah. It is. I don't want to call people out. Uh, like the French. Just, uh, well, there, so <laughs> Islamophobia, I've never seen it greater anywhere than in France. And granted, you know, they've had more, um, attacks on home soil than we have. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's that's going to condition people. It absolutely is, and they have uh, higher immigration from Islamic countries than, than we do, right. uh, per capita. Um, somebody's going to have to fact check that on it. But having been there, you know, it's 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 more common. Um, Korea. I spent a lot of time in Korea because we were about to go to war over there. Holy shit! You want to talk about xenophobic? If you, if you ain't Korean, you ain't shit. They should just have that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> over there. Yeah. Uh, India, I worked with uh, their special forces a little bit. Uh, not only do they have a very ingrained caste system in uh, for their own people, but if you are a different race, forget it, man. That's and I'm not blanketing every country as like holy shit. India is a racist country. South Korea is a racist country, but culturally, they are very exclusionary. Mm. to to other races yeah just culturally far more than we ever could be here right yeah that's based on my own experience yeah no i feel like here we're we make ourselves look so racist all the time because of the actions of a few because again we're neurotic i don't think i'm neurotic because i'm aware of myself and my actions day by day it's called being present but i'd say a hand a large group of people who don't struggle or suffer on a day-to-day basis to think they are are being neurotic and not that the shit doesn't bad shit doesn't happen here but when you are neurotic you're focusing on such small things intricacies but blowing them up and putting your whole ego and identity onto these things when it's like maybe you should just go fucking run 10 miles and think about this maybe you should really suffer do you have netflix you're probably all right, all right if you've got Netflix right now and your fridge fucking works. But <laughs> if, <laughs> if coming you, from a guy whose fridge is broken. Uh, right <laughs> if if you're white and you're in your twenties and you find yourself on a protest line shouting at a black cop that they are racist because they're a cop, it's probably time to go for, choke yourself. To self do some self examination, <laughs> maybe maybe travel a little bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and it, it's so actually that book right there, Man's Search for Meaning. Have you guys ever read that? No, but I've been meaning to. I think I downloaded that on Audible recently. Dude, so Victor Frankl, the first half is his experience through the concentration camp. And he was already studying, going, you know, doing, he wanted to write this book and everything. And starts examining his experience, what he saw, into the material he wanted to write. And that was his meaning and purpose. And that's why he think he survived. He's like, I have to get this information out there. I have to, I have to write to my goddamn book, you know. 1947. Like he just he just obsessed and got that book out right, and essentially he called it out. He says people aren't doing their own agriculture anymore, so he, you're yes. gonna they're gonna get neurotic. And with uh, automation, as it increases in the future, more people are gonna have more bouts of psychosis over things that materialize because of the easy parts of life. We are not doing enough to keep us physically um, 
in contact anymore. Like we are meant to be yes, manual laborers. Absolutely. Right? We were talking about this recently. In fact, the very last, the most recent post I did on Instagram before being like, I need to cut down my screen time was the warning from the beginning of fight club, because that I believe is a large part of most of our problem. Now when we get like, Oh, I'm bored or I'm depressed or I'm not talking about like clinical depression and chemical imbalances, but just this general malaise is a lack of proper struggle. Like we're, we're supposed to be hunting, gathering, you know, fucking scaling mountains for food and resources. And a, I think a large part of our problem sometimes is that we've got it too fucking easy. And we're like, oh, I'm bored. Go run 20 miles. Yeah. Go lift something heavy. Yeah. Go, go, go archery. You got, I mean, that's expensive, but I get it. You, you got to be cheap. So let's just go run. <laughs> we just found that out. Yesterday. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fucked. But, you know, we, we have a bit, we have availability to do these things and to have outlets and, you know, even though they're, they're very cost effective, like you said, running is a good example because it's very cost effective. Like, do you have shoes? Actually, you can run barefoot in the park. Get down in the grass and go run barefoot. I don't care. But then you we know. run into the problem now of motivation for this. We had natural motivation back then or people that are, say, homesteading. They have natural motivation. Yeah, You're true. doing these things because it's survival. You're building a home. You need food. You, you know, there's wood that's got to be cut. There's animals that need to be fed or harvested broken down whatever there's always work to be done but now the problem when we're living in these you know very comfy modern settings is uh we have the same need for that struggle for lack of better words but where's the carrot that's dangling to make us want to get up off the couch and do it when all we have to do is push a button to make that thing come to us one of the 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 best the most motivated I've been in recent years for training was when I was training for the fire department and when I was training because I thought I was going to have to take the ACFT. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I know that I'm going to go to boot camp, so I'm, I'm going to train my ass off. Once you take that away, I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do mm -hmm. now? I need to train, but it doesn't have the same kind of flavor. Mm -hmm. I can select a race, which I plan on doing, but it still doesn't have that same kind of life or death. Like, no, you like, flavor to it yeah you don't get happiness by instant gratification for one you don't see people that are happy they're influencers in fact you can pick them apart really quickly and see what they're doing and like okay there's there's their insecurity here's their their compensation whether it's guy or girl you can pick them apart if you really just look at what they're doing right that doesn't help but we know that like from that book and he's fucking right if i get it right you can find meaning and purpose in love um, suffering and um, 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 yeah, suffering and uh, giving, right? Such a giving, doing something for others. That's that's why the army is good. You are such a giving. You, your prior purpose is giving back, right? You have that mission. That's why you become mission and goal oriented, right? Um, and it's really hard to break that, by the way, because I'm always mission oriented. Like, I need something, you know, like, I gotta write my own fucking op orders every goddamn day, essentially, right? So, knowing that, it's like, Okay, someone giving me money isn't going to make me happy. Somebody giving me a new truck won't make me happy. Someone gives me instant gratification on Instagram is going to make me happy. It's someone giving me the opportunity to have a mission, right? Give someone an opportunity, now you have someone who's going to fuck shit up for you and be happy. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's my takeaway from it, I think, you know. I just want to throw out there that uh, I'm okay with people giving me money. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. If, if you, can, you can Venmo me, uh, I take PayPal. Because um, that will make you happy. We're, we're starting a OnlyFans for our dog. 
uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, it's funny you mentioned OnlyFans on this podcast because we talk about Kevin's OnlyFans all the time. I'm, I'm just gonna, I was going to be naked and make pancakes, but <laughs> we've had I, some ideas. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this is for bows. <laughs> you got to have a niche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's the fucked up thing: if I were to randomly like win the lottery and and have all this money tomorrow, the first thing that I would do is sign up to go like climb Rainier. Like mm-hmm. that's I would, there we go. You know. There would be a Kilimanjaro trip. There'd be a Rainier trip. But I'm like, oh, man, I finally have the money now to make myself go suffer yeah. properly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you see that a lot with people who have money. Oh, they yeah. start to do things like that because now they can afford. But that, I think that's healthy because they're introducing struggle. And it doesn't have to be someone with a lot of money. I mean, it could be, like you said, go run. It Unless could, they just like pay for people to sherpa their shit up because then they're not really doing the work. You yeah. know, they got the oxygen Dude, tanks and they're... I, pay- <laughs> yeah, I I went I did the the Havasu Pie hike in like 2016 where you you go down the switchbacks you hike down and there's Indian Reservation, pack my shit out and even if you do it at five in the morning it's you know it was like eight ten miles something like that so you're walking out the whole way uphill it's like 110 and then you end up having to carry other people's packs too because they weren't ready for it uh. <laughs> but but that how many people you see use the helicopter to get down there or have the Native Americans packed all their shit under mules. It's like I fucking hate white people too, dude. Right now, like that doesn't count. If anyone's listening and that's your plan, that doesn't fucking count. Doesn't count. Pack all your shit down and up. If you can't, I'm sorry. Too bad. So sad. Sometimes it's better not to have an all inclusive environment. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? We talked about on this podcast a million times how struggle is good for you, whether it's like running or a jujitsu class or whatever. Just do something fucking hard. It's good for you. It makes you feel so much better. It strengthens the soul. If there's, you know, that's not science. Or or like we just talked about, get out of your comfort zone too. Like us us going there last weekend and like talking with all these people we don't know. I'm a very social person. I'm a social butterfly. Kevin's not. No, I'm the guy. I'm the guy who's like needed a bow to go up in the mountain and be busy. And last weekend he was, the first day we were there, full on panic attack mode. Like, oh fuck. There's people he doesn't know. And I'm... I'll go up and talk to anybody, but I also know boundaries. So I'm not like going to like guys like Evan. I know everybody there wants to talk to that fucking guy. So I was going to wait till he was by himself. I'm not going to go in and interrupt, but I'm social. I have no problem with it. Kevin, but he's out of his comfort zone and we, we did that, you know, it's good good for you. I feel a bit, I'm like a weird combination. I'm super outgoing and I can talk to anyone, (laughs) but I need a purpose. So bartending, I loved bartending because I was getting paid while getting my obligatory social time, but outside of work, I would, you know, I'd go home. I'd in the last three years when I had the ideal schedule, I'd be at home in bed by 1230 and then I'd get up and I'd spend all day either painting or training. And I'm not talking, I could go for days on end on days off without speaking to another person, be completely fine reading books in bed and whatever. I can be social, but I'd so much rather be like working as a part of my, I don't know. It's, that makes sense. I've got a weird yeah. introvert extrovert thing going on. Mm-hmm. That's good though. That's, that's, that's a good, that's a good, if I want to call it yin and yang, because you're not too much one way or the other, you know, it's like people that are way overly too social are also, I, I'm sorry if I'm sounding like an asshole here, but people who are extremely social people are not critical thinkers in my opinion. Like if you want to be balanced, you can be a critical thinker and be an asshole and completely shut off from the world, or let's balance those things out. Let's be social when we need to be, but be a critical thinker and introspective. You know, be both. It's fine. I think there are a lot of people, uh, 
especially when I was in Raleigh and bartending that thought I was stuck up because I wasn't, I didn't leave after my shift to go hang out with everyone. And I wasn't on off nights going to hang out with everyone in another bar. I, it displayed somewhat quote unquote antisocial behavior, but I'm like, no, I have other shit I want to accomplish. And maybe that's a little too like, I don't know if the word is practical sometimes it's not serving a purpose like me hanging out isn't really serving a purpose me going on a trail and spending eight hours that serves a purpose it improves my conditioning or me working on this painting like that serves a purpose so if it doesn't have some sort of like meaning attached to it it can get a little bit ridiculous because I'm like Ugh, don't see the point in me hanging out with a group of people drink glass wine for I've gotten a, a bit better about that but it I do I, I don't like to like spend god that sounds horrible useless time time spent with quality time spent with people is not useless time. We need that time and mm -hmm. we need to exchange ideas and whatnot. But man, I'd rather do it from the other side of the bar while I'm working too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've pushed, I've made Kevin push out of his comfort zone a lot with this podcast. Cause like I said, I don't even care. It could be a big celebrity. I'll fucking walk up and talk to him. I just, I don't have that thing where I feel like they're better than me and I can't talk to him. And maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. No, it's yeah, good. That's, that's what you but. get in the military. When I met Gary Sneeze when I came back from the fucking Afghanistan, I was like, what's that fucker? Like, everyone was so excited to take pictures with him and he came to Fairbanks. It's like, what's up, Gary? Like, you know, like, it's nice to not have to feel that. For my anxiety, it's not about that. It's it's about just people, noise, lights. Like, I don't know if it's TBI. I don't know if it's autism. I don't know if it's just, just Kevin. But it's like, you combine all that and then loud noises and stuff. It's like, man, like... You I'm overwhelmed. Seen him like, when we went to the UFC live. I got <laughs> talk about up. lights and talk loud. about talk about like I can't. I'll never. I'll never go to a hockey game again or anything like that. Ever we, fuck it. We were like fourth row or something from the cage, and we're right under the lights and the speakers. And during the fights, he's into it. He's he's watching. He as soon as the fight's over and the music kicks on, I see him looking around. I'm like, you want to go walk around a little bit? Fucking migraine. Oh, it was. I get that a hundred percent. I can be in those environments, but short term, and then I need to go, like, be weird and quiet by myself for a while because it I get overstimulated. And this month on the road, when we had back to back to back events and we had rotating like coworkers, everyone sharing our Airbnbs, there are some people that thrive off of that. They fucking love it, mm -hmm. and it is like a high. I was like a toddler that was in desperate need of a nap <laughs> for I think a week and a half straight before I finally had to tell people like, I need to go be alone. Mm -hmm. Nothing personal. I just need to go be weird. So yeah, I'm going to go, go for a weird. run. Yeah. yeah. No, nothing yeah. wrong with that either. For me, it was still living in luxury compared to, uh, you know, deployment. So I would, I didn't, I didn't think I minded it quite so much just because I've sucked more, I think. I wonder, I wondered yeah. that about some of you guys too, like you just, you people, yeah, you people. just <laughs> veterans in general. Like, do you deal with being in those group environments for prolonged periods better than someone like me? Because you had to do that. I've had the luxury of spending most of my adult life. I, I can, I spent most of my time by myself and I'm cool with that, but you didn't have that choice. So I, I can absolutely appreciate the alone time. I mean, even when you're in uh, cramped quarters, you find ways to to do that. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, Portageons, spankatoriums, masturbatoriums. Yeah, yeah. You, you <laughs> set your, you know, you hang your whoopee from the the top bunk to make your quiet little alcove of yeah. solitude. 
Um, but I, I can remember one time, um, I was a team sergeant and, uh, we were at, a we were at a, a, a shooting school that was several weeks long. And, um, one day I just, I up and I said, everybody's off today. Uh, because there was nothing, we weren't being, it was weekend, it was Saturday. I went and checked myself into a hotel room away from everybody. I didn't do anything. I was just away from everybody for 24 hours just as kind of a reset. But I also, you know, it's a little bit different when you're, you're, there was almost like, uh, a, a mom spa day for me, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. cause I was, I was in charge of the whole team. So being away from 24 hours just meant that no, nobody was coming up to talk to me at my bunk about whatever random problem or schedule or whatever. Yeah. But, um, to your point, yeah, we definitely are conditioned to, uh, be around each other, uh, for prolonged periods of time in less than ideal environments. And you don't always, and you don't get a choice about, uh, who you're around either. You might not, right. you may not like the guy. Should I had a team leader once that I couldn't stand and he and I had to be the leadership team for this team. He ended up getting fired eventually. Thank <laughs> God. But, um, yeah, you, you don't always, you don't, you don't always get to love the one you're with. Yeah. As they say <laughs> in the song. Yeah. I, I've been highly, highly, highly independent since a, a very early age. And, you know, I'd go to, even when I went to clubs with a bunch of friends in New York, I would meet people there half the time and I'd leave, I'd ghost everyone. I just, I love doing things by myself. And you guys didn't have that choice. <laughs> Speaking of loving the one you're with, let's talk about your engagement. Okay, so there's 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 masculine in terms of like He-Man riding a shark into a volcano. And then there's getting up in front of a bunch of fucking people and singing to a your woman. And that's, uh, I think that's pretty much at the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You yes. combine the two and you have tear. Yeah. Because <laughs> so from our end of things, being at the event last weekend, when we were asking about what we could do to help and I, I could tell you, like you said, like I said, run around like a chicken with your head cut off. And then you look right at me and Kevin, you're like, I'm proposing tonight. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> you got a lot on your mind right now. And then you said, I'm also singing. I'm like, Oh man, I don't want, I would not want to be you right now. And like I said, I'm a social guy, but even for me, I no fucking way. But it says a lot. I think that it just showed like, uh, or everybody like, like this is important. This is not my comfort zone. But if I can be the most vulnerable I can be, it's going to be for another person. I thought, like, that's that's well, pretty deep. I think I said this, maybe I said this on the podcast last week when we were talking with the guys up there. I don't remember, but you sang one of my favorite songs too. And I, I think I told them, I'm like, I almost fucking went up and asked them if I could marry him. <laughs> because it, it was really cool to see. And I know like Kevin got emotional watching that whole thing. And that was something we've talked about here a lot about like masculinity and stuff. Shit like that's masculine too. Absolutely. You're you're showing you're showing yourself to a bunch of people. There's a lot of people there you don't fucking know, yeah, and that don't know you either. And you're doing that in front of a whole crowd of people, and that's that's masculine as fuck. You're ability, like I don't care. I love this woman. This is what I'm doing. The ability to be vulnerable and to show love, to show softer emotion, softer part of ourselves, that is a strength. And in the animal kingdom, the alpha will often show their neck. Mm-hmm. So that's a it is a thing. It, but that's so important hiding that and guarding it does not make you a strong person no mm-hmm. there was a lot that went into that um and um a, a lot of variables that uh, that kind of amped up my nervousness one uh we've met sturgill simpson 
Uh, jealous. Yeah. I'm jealous. He's an awesome human. Okay. Uh, he's my favorite. Yeah. Also taller than you probably imagine. Uh, he's better looking in person. <laughs> he's, yeah. He's a... I got a man crush on Sturgill. That dude's awesome. I do too. Yeah. I've never even met him. Yeah. And and in the manner we met him, he was doing a, a small tour with 100% of the door and the merch table going to the Special Forces Foundation. I remember, I remember when he was doing that. That's Yeah. So I was I was doing some stuff for the SF Foundation before I came with Black Rifle. That's how we ended up meeting him. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's there's not that uh, separation of, eh, this is just a song. If if I mess it up, no big deal. Mm-hmm. No, the my friend, uh, the 10th group sergeant major Ignacio, said, "Hey, send me the video. I'm going to send it to Sturgill." I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> "No, no, I can't fuck it." Yeah. All right. <laughs> so yeah, the the original recording artist has probably seen this video now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fact that uh, I'm doing this in front of people. Doing it in front of people I've known for 20 years, not a big deal. Doing it in front of her parents. Big mm, deal. Yeah. Doing it in front of my bosses, big deal. Combine that with my bosses, uh, you know, they actually make money off of uh, royalties from iTunes. Mm-hmm. They they have actual songs out. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, my, my recording career up to this point has been drunken karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. You did good. It was fucking awesome. And then also just proposing to somebody in front of a crowd, that's... That's nerve wracking. It, it needed to be special because this isn't the first time I've done it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, me- I remember you told me this is the last time. <laughs> this is the last one. I swear. <laughs> I was clueless, absolutely clueless. That's I had no idea. And I mean, well, that's not hard to do. You had a lot going on. Yeah. You were you running around like crazy. No, that's that takes balls to do. It like I proposed to my wife in a barn, just me and her. <laughs> there was no crowd involved. <laughs> Fuck that. But no, that was. It was awesome. That was but I awesome. picture amazing lighting, you know, sun coming through, some cracked beams with a little bit of hay dust in the air. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of how it was. So yeah. there was this barn on the ranch I used to work on, and they would rent it out to like churches and stuff for events. I had like a stage and all that. And we had talked forever. If we ever get married, we should do it there. Well, then I didn't even know if that was going to be a possibility, but I took her to that barn. We It's a two and a half hour drive from here. We drove up there. I told her we were just driving up to look at the barn. And then my little cheesy spiel was I might not be able to marry you here, but I can at least propose. And I proposed to her and it went how it, you know, according to plan, but there was no crowd. I would have been like nervous, way too nervous to in front of a crowd. So that takes nuts. It was awesome. That was awesome. So I was writing the lyrics to the song. I, here's another thing. I didn't have a lot, you know, in, uh, what, not 50 first dates. What's, it's another one of those Adam Sandler movies with Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, one of, one of the many. Yeah, the wedding singer where he's actually like, you know, he's giving like voice lessons to this little old lady because she's going to she's gonna sing to her husband on their 50th anniversary or something. I would have loved to have been able to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But we have been on the road attached at the hip since April. Yeah. I cannot get away from this woman. <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm, I'm trying to practice in the in the car and whatnot, but it's so intermittent because she's almost always with me. Yeah. And like a couple of days before this, um, our friend Mandy, uh, she, she was my co-conspirator and we had actually made a plan. Like she was going to feign some kind of, Hey, I need some girl time. I, there's just some trauma. I need, I could really use just to get her away from me for a little bit so I could, so I could practice a little bit. 
And um, I ended up kind of jumping the gun a little. We're standing in the kitchen of this Airbnb, and um, there were plans for her to be somewhere else. And then she changed her plans. She was like, oh, actually, I'm going to come to work and do this. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, your birthday is Saturday, and I'm trying to plan something. I need you to get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give up that I was proposing, but yeah, you know, obviously she knew her, ba- her birthday was the no, same day. I, I, I thought that the biggest thing was going to be like maybe a cake and people would maybe like pull me up and embarrass me. And, right. So that's all that I thought was happening <laughs> well, when they pulled he's, me he's up there. He's saying happy birthday as well. That's all I thought was happening <laughs> when they pulled me up there. And I was like, oh, cool. Everyone's going to say something and happy birthday. And we're going to sing it. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to go back to cleaning shit up. But I was completely floored by the whole thing. Yeah, that was that was really cool to witness. I was ugly crying. Also, I hadn't been feeling great for a couple of days there. I don't know if it was the smoke or I caught some sort of cold. I am COVID negative. But I have confirmed. Yeah. Every <laughs> at every other tack after party I like wore a dress and, you know, did my hair and like got ready for it. Mm-hmm. This one I was so fucking exhausted. I was like, It's the last one. I don't feel good. It was like taking cold medicine that morning. I was like, I just need to get through it. I had sore throat. It's probably and the altitude. Yeah, it was just a combination. But I didn't feel great. And I was like, I'm just going to wear the same thing that I'm setting up in. And it was like raggedy cut up t-shirt and whatever. And he's like, there's going to be a lot of content there. You, I mean, you might. You might. And it was trying to, trying to trying to gently like be like, you want to look, you want to dress nice tonight. Well, I still wound up wearing jeans and a crop top and I had a flannel tied around my waist and then it rained so I threw a beanie on at the last minute and I'm like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out though yeah I, she was really like she told me a couple of months ago oh, it's the last one I'm burnt out you know what I just don't give a fuck I'm just gonna put on whatever I'm like mm. uh, like I'm trying to influence this decision like you you are gonna want to wear something you know that can be on a photograph forever without saying that. And also with that, I didn't want to come off as like, Hey, I'm your boss. You need to dress up. (laughs) Yeah. No, that was, that was, it was cool to be a part of that and watch that. And that also goes back to what I was saying about how inviting everybody's been with black rifle and with you guys. Like we don't know you. We never, that was the first time we met you in person. Yeah. And you told us, you know, I'm proposing and all that. And everybody's just, so fucking yeah, writing. You, just good people. We met each other in person. And I hand you two hundred dollars yeah. and sent you on a beer run. That's why I told Kevin when we left. I'm like, this dude just handed me two hundred dollars cash. That, Doesn't know me. That couldn't have been more perfect to me, though. I mean, to be honest with you, especially with my background, I was married but never actually been engaged before, and it ended horribly. I was married to a drug addict. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of had given up on. I'd never really dreamed about like a big wedding thing, but I always dreamed about falling in love with someone to the point where I wanted to spend the rest of my life with that person. And that person I knew was here, Mm -hmm. but I was kind of like, well, if it happens or if it doesn't happen, I'm still, I'm still going to be here regardless of the question. I was like, this is just, so him catching me off guard like that. And I just don't think that I ever, it's that whole, like not, you're kind of discounting yourself. Like I didn't think that something that like that would ever happen to me. So it was pretty fucking incredible. Like just the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with and you're totally in love with, like wants to, you know, ask this question, profess their love for you in front of all these people. Like it's pretty fucking cool. That is cool. Yeah, absolutely. People have asked me a few times since then, Hey, so how's engaged life? I'm like, I'm not quite sure how to respond to that because nothing's really changed (laughs) for me. Yeah. 
Well, I, I just, guess you're still traveling. Yeah. Well, I, I just tell you, oh, well, she said yes. I've completely let myself go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Like, yeah. It's probably uh, 50 pounds. I can't wait to get my uh, rings back. This ring is ridiculous. My, my rings are ready now. They were getting resized in Utah. And so I'm going to have them overnight and when we get to Oregon. But I was like, oh, now I can't like not wear something. So I got this ridiculous um, silicone band, but it's like a silicone solitaire. And it looks like Wonder Woman, like <laughs> oh, bubblegum nice. machine. Yeah. <laughs> It totally looks like something she paid a quarter for. Yeah. A, per, that's the best Mexican one. Yeah. 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 The most expensive weddings, the most expensive rings are never things last forever. Right? Well, so this is great. This is a, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really patting myself on the back for this one. I, um, I proposed to her with her grandmother's ring. Mm. Nice. So it meant more to her and it didn't cost me anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I, that's another thing. I never was like, oh, someday I want this giant rock on my hand that, that I never like there are women that go through or have looked through wedding rings or engagement rings. And that's totally fine. I have nothing. I've gotten excited with my friends before that were looking at their rings. It's just not something that I ever gave a shit about myself. Mm-hmm. Something it, again, it's like the having to have some sort of like purpose or value to mm-hmm. it. That ring to me, sentimental value. Yeah. It's got value. Like my mm-hmm. grandparents, my grandfather passed away. Um, he retired as a Lieutenant Colonel in the national guard and he was a full-time guy when he pa- he retired as a lieutenant colonel from the guard. And then he passed away while I was at MEPS trying to kind of like follow some of those family lines. Everyone in my family, except for my dad, who were Italian, you know, fourth generation Italian immigrants, everyone, including the ones that just came over, served in the United States military. So I thought that like, it was a little late, but I was going to get to kind of check that block and mm-hmm. continue on that lineage. And uh, he passed away while I was in medical. He was, we knew he was in the hospital, I was taking my written, but the next day while I was at medical is when he passed. And then my grandmother passed away uh, like nine or 10 months later. We knew that they wouldn't go, they wouldn't last that long without each other. Yeah. They were married 68 years at the time of his passing. I mean, they're not perfect, but man, they, they, everything had value and they made it last. And even up into the end where, the burden could have taken been taken off of him with help coming in and nursing homes or whatever. And he's like, this is my wife. I love her. I'm here. I'm with her to the very end. So it's like, it's cool. And she, they were also big whiskey drinkers. That's question. This is a, (laughs) they were big whiskey drinkers. (laughs) Um, but she used to draw Vargas style pinup girls while she was still stuck in New York. And he was, um, down at Fort Bragg and she'd mail them to him. So there's a lot of cool stuff with the two of them. Mm-hmm. So a, it, that ring has some actual like real value to it. That's it's awesome. pretty too. It's simple and it's perfect. And yeah, exactly. that engagement is something no, neither of you or a lot of people that were there will ever forget. That's yeah, for sure. I've been told that uh, I've, I've ruined the engagement process yeah. for a yeah. lot of people. Oh, I, told, I told my wife about it. She's like, why didn't you do that? And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm not a badass green beret that gets to travel for a living. But that means I have to do that from next time because it's like I can't let somebody pa- like pass me up. <laughs> like it's, it's so competitive. It's like it's like well, it's like if someone like if I see someone like build a table, I'm like I can build that table. I just got to put my fucking mind to it. I can build that table, you know. Same thing. It's like 
all right, if I just fucking really pull my balls up for a little bit, I can do something like that. You know, like, <laughs> so at least you set a standard. You set a fucking standard. Yeah. So you, actually, you just made a whole lot of women's lives better down the road. Eventually. Experiences yeah. are always more valuable than things. Yeah. And that yeah. is an experience. And it's a memory that I will get to have. My family will get to have now for the rest of our lives. Like my parents were there. We were surrounded by people that we care about. That's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, that I value that above anything else. Yeah, and I met your dad. He was very nice. Yeah, definitely very nice guy. Got so, him on the mountain for the weekend. Uh, I, I saw the first that. time that he had shot a bow in I think thirty years, and he had such oh. a great time that he is now um, trying to purchase the bow off of someone else that he borrowed mm-hmm. that day. He he and I started shooting in the backyard when I was I want to say it was middle school. I got a recurve and mm-hmm. we'd set up a hay bale and we'd shoot back there. But then he just kind of stopped. And, you know, I lost, that's one of the items I lost in the quote unquote fire. Uh, <laughs> but I got, Tara got me a compound bow last year for my birthday. Mm-hmm. That was a big long-term goal when I was super broke and started bartending. Uh, I had these like Pinterest boards and one of them was all like hunting stuff and compound bow. So that was, I started that journey last year, but now my dad's fired up because he got to go out and shoot and experience it. And hit mm-hmm. a couple of foam targets. And that was the hardest course I had ever been on at the highest altitude I'd ever been at. And my dad will be 70 in December mm-hmm. with his hip replaced twice, <laughs> was traversing the course with us. So it was just an all around, like, what an epic way mm-hmm. to end the summer, you know, with this big event to benefit our in house nonprofit, which is giving back to like all these fucking cool ass new friends that I've made over the last few years, people that I, admire and then the love of my life gets down and proposes in front of you know all my people and my sisters on facetime and my parents are there Mm -hmm. and then we get to take my dad up on the mountain and go fucking shoot shit in the face with arrows it was awesome that's when i met him too right when you guys got back down from the mountain yeah he was super nice yeah well i guess we can get to wrapping this up since you guys have a drive but what are the future plans with brcc gives um well the fund um we're gonna we're gonna expand with staff. Um, right now, we're doing five thousand dollars a week to veteran-owned businesses, and um, how people get that is they're peer nominated. Um, I would like to have an application process on the website at brccfund.org, where people can get on there and say and request support. Um, but it's very important to me that every one of those requests is answered, uh, regardless of whether it's fulfilled or not. Mm. Um, and we just don't have the staff on yeah. my team right now to do that. So that button isn't there. Yeah, I'm going to add that. If you have reached out for to wanting to be a volunteer or have some nominations or whatever, and you haven't gotten a response quite yet, hang tight. We're just getting back from all this tax stuff. And our, our staff right now, full-time staff, is three people. So <laughs> mm-hmm. trust me, you, you are on my mind and you are on my list. Mm-hmm. Yep. Three full-timers two contractors uh, who also have other jobs and, uh, and and a couple volunteers. So there's, there's a lot of work there. Um, we, um, but so beyond the five grand a week, uh, we still on the corporate side, you know, I manage both, both the, the nonprofit and uh, the corporate giving side. And um, the, the giving over there is, is, it's so cool to be able to do this. I, I started with uh, a budget of 400,000 last year and my budget this year is 1.2 million. Wow. Nice. And that's because of our customer base. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with anything outside of that. That is 
the money that was sliced off from finance for charitable giving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, and, and that's outside of our payroll or operations costs or anything else. That's just what we donate, uh, both in kind and in cash donations. So it's really cool to be able to do that. Um, so there's, you know, we've got a few nonprofits out there that we really like to give to like the boot campaign is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got, we've got a, we have a partnered shoe with them. Um, it's Maltama maritime assault boots that are in black multicam. Um, we donated the original plan there was to recover the, the cost of the production and then they would get all the proceeds and we ended up just donating the entire thing. <laughs> so like the front upfront cost was like 84 grand or okay. something like that. So we, we donated all that. And so every pair of shoes, you can't buy those on the BRCC website, by the way, you have to go to bootcampaign.com, but mm-hmm. it's, it's on there. Um, I think there's like a thousand pairs left. Uh, really cool shoes. Yeah. Um, really comfortable. We got a pair. Yeah. Did you? Awesome. Yeah. Um, so boot campaign, uh, special forces foundation is doing awesome things, um, for Greenberries and their families. Sock F foundation. I, I like to call them, uh, our, our non, non-denominational <laughs> charitable partner because like special forces foundation, Navy seal foundation in that charter with a nonprofit, you have to work within your charter and both of those, you have to be one of those people to mm-hmm. receive benefits. Sock F special operations care fund. They don't care what branch you are and they support contractors that are supporting soft as well. They are amazing. They are amazing what they do. And David Kramer, I, I, I mean, holy shit. They're a great group of people. Well said. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, 107. Uh, there, there's a fund right now or not a fund. There's a study right now that they, uh, the results of that will be published in October, I think, but that was funded with black rifle coffee money from a donation of last year. Yeah. She talked about that quite a bit when she was on a couple weeks ago. Yeah. We're probably going to, uh, probably going to do some, some bigger donation to them next year. Uh, I haven't talked to her about that yet, but we'll talk about what their needs are. Um, and there's some that have spawned out of things from black rifle, like, uh, um, operation during warrior archery. Um, that's, that's Caleb Brewer and, and his team. Um, we're going to continue to work with them. I, there's a whole bunch out there that I'm, I'm leaving out. And we, there's conservation charities as well that kind of cross over into the veteran space, like condition one foundation up in Montana. They're doing hunter education and taking, uh, guys on hunts. Warriors in quiet waters is basically rehab and centering through fly fishing. Um, there's, there's a, I know I'm leaving some out there. I know I am, but, um, I kind of approached, um, managing this mission from a green beret mindset of, you know, you've got 12 guys and you put them in a country and you've, you've got a strategic mission. Um, how do you make that happen? You can't do that by each of your dudes just doing tactical shit. You have to, you have to train and raise an army. It's combat, combat force multipliers. And that's how I see these partnered nonprofits. And I, I saw that even before we had our own nonprofit. The BRCC fund doesn't need to do everything itself, especially with three paid employees mm. uh, that are actually paid by Black Rifle Coffee, not, not the fund. And there's no reason for them to try to duplicate efforts of another nonprofit that is doing something in that arena already. Mm-hmm. So I like to partner with these organizations that have proven themselves to be 
uh, to have a high level integrity, mission focus, and are, are really just doing awesome shit. And I can work with them, amplify their message through our platform, and give them the resources they need to accomplish that mission better than they could without us. So that's that's kind of my goal for both the corporate giving side and the nonprofit side. We do have a couple initiatives that we're working on. Um, we are setting up a magnetic resonance therapy clinic in-house in, uh, in Salt Lake City um, for, uh, for TBI treatment. Uh, and that'll be damn near free of charge for people to come use. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. And if you haven't looked that up, uh, and if you've, you've had your brain rattled around, whether you're a veteran or not, you should definitely look into it. It's some ground, groundbreaking stuff. Um, <clears throat> we're, uh, we have that Afghan commando squad that works in Salt Lake right now. Mm-hmm. We're looking at expanding that a little more, especially with, uh, the drawdown and, you know, there's a whole bunch of Afghan allies that have refugee status in, in Virginia. So we're looking at that and, uh, we're also looking at expanding that program to, uh, some of the other places we've worked like Iraq and Syria. Um, we are, uh, working with a legal team to cover legal fees for their citizenship. Hmm. Uh, the same way we're, I mean, we're covering English lessons for them right now, but, um, I actually didn't know and neither did Evan until I had a conversation with Wally, uh, a few weeks ago that they didn't have their citizenship yet. Hmm. So we're working to make that as streamlined as possible. You know, if, if they don't have to worry about those legal fees, that's, that's something they can concentrate more on actually the process of becoming a citizen rather than the financial burden of mm-hmm. becoming a citizen. So we're working on that. Um, and we're working on expanding our, our conservation efforts. Um, as we, as we, as a, in the veterans in the, in the company kind of evolve out of that tactical space of who we were carrying a gun for a living. Um, I think we are transitioning along with everybody else. You know, the company is only seven years old. Um, and <laughs> Baker said it to me the other day. He said, you like to hunt. I said, yeah. He said, but you're a neophyte in the space. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's true. I mean, I grew up hunting, but I took a long break because I got tired of drawing. I'm from Oregon. I got tired of drawing tags and not being there for hunting season because <laughs> I always ended up being out of the country in October. <laughs> so I just stopped doing it until a couple of years ago when I, I was a, I got to go be part of the hunter recruitment project that he set up. Mm-hmm. That's the first deer I had shot in years, like a decade or so. And the, wow. the last deer I had shot before that was on my grandparents' handicap tags. Mm-hmm. So, um, as, as we in the country and the company are evolving and kind of transitioning over to that outdoor space from just being, you know, carrying an AR around and rotating it out of the country all the time. Uh, I think we're doing that with, the vet population. Um, so we're, we're putting more emphasis on that. It's not taking away from anything we're doing for people that are still serving. Um, like I, we, we still send pallets of coffee to, to deployed people. Mm-hmm. But the fact is there's less deployed people, yeah. you know? Right. So, um, I, I guess if I was just going to sum it up, we, we want to be, we want to be there to support, um, and then sometimes, um, sometimes with a safety net, sometimes just with a, with a hand, we want to be there to support the veteran first responder community as they, uh, as they cope, as they adapt and as they transition. So that's what's next. Perfect. That's awesome. 
Well, yeah. I want to thank both of you for making the trip. And we've had this scheduled a few times and had to move it around, but we made it happen. So I'm glad it happened. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have anything else? Um, no. Love you. Bye. <laughs> and we're probably not going to do a pre-recorded intro for this. So check out our sponsors, Mountain Primal Meats and Amp Tree Works. Smadge 15. We'll get you a one-time 15% discount code at Black Raffle Coffee. There you go. And uh, I believe Nicole has a discount code with Combat Flip Flops that's 25% off. Uh, it's just Nicole, N-I-C-H-O-L-E, 25% off, and that's another awesome company. There you go. There's our plugs. Perfect. Drink uh, drink Willie's Distillery Whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget Mission Prep at Mountain Primal. Oh, yeah, that's our code, Mission Prep. Hopefully you can spell that. They, uh, they all, I know we just closed out, but they also sponsored us. They donated a lot of meat for our fundraisers. I love those guys. Oh, Mountain Primal? Oh, Mountain yeah. Primal, yeah, they're, yep. they're really good people. That I keep thinking about that burger right now. The, the SF Foundation came out and helped us out. They um, formed burgers and grilled at one of the, it was a Colorado event. Man, that show's so good. Real, oh, so good. Good meat. Is. Yeah, they're good folks over there. Roger and John. Mm-hmm. Everybody else. Everybody else is sexy motherfuckers. That's true. Yeah. We're going to try to make a trip out there one of these days. But All right, cool. Well, thank you guys.